Yasmin. Yay! Yay! <laughs> She's finally back. And this, this week we're going to be talking about my chosen topic, which is about, I mean, I'm not sure what the politically correct way to say it is, but I'm just going to say Native Americans or the original people <laughs> from... Is it First Peoples? Is the that First right? Peoples, first pe- yeah. First, first Peoples. peoples which is what the tribe that I'm going to talk about are known as in Canada and certain states in the United States of America. So, yeah, uh, well, basically, if it wasn't for us shit Europeans coming over there and ruining their lives, I think America would be a much better place. I think that's fair to say. (laughs) 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 I mean, really, they have totally ruined a beautiful place for that like people who worship nature respected nature and their their landscape and animals and turned it into a fucking concrete jungle <laughs> full of cowboys and guns yeah, yeah it's like, some sort of giant, like yeah. shit amusement park for wankers yeah so <laughs> no offense to any of our american listeners <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to make any friends here <laughs> I mean, I can sympathise. I mean, it's not as bad, but it kind of kind of is with the indigenous people of Americas because we had the Highland clans and we were basically fucking colonised by England and their way of, they tried to wipe out their way of life with like, you know, the culture of the Gaelic language and the, the Highland way of life by cleaning them all out and replacing them with sheep. Yeah. So I sympathise. <laughs> I like obviously quite a lot of my family are Irish as well, so yeah, I've got, oh, yeah. Like, Irish family, Scottish family. Again, the English tried to kill all of the Irish Catholics because they didn't yeah like them either. So yeah, and Yasmin, the British have fucking yeah. colonised Egypt as well. So we've all been there as well. They just they just go about raping everyone. Really. Yeah, and then they don't yeah. even apologise or acknowledge it. Yep, and then say, oh, you're all Commonwealth countries, but you're not allowed in Britain because yeah. Yeah, we can go and fuck up your countries and, um, yeah, come on over, you know, when we need some, like, workers to do jobs that we really can't be arsed doing. But then when we've got enough, but then you must put up with all the racist shit while you're at it. Yeah, well, we rob your country. Yeah, we rob you fucking blind and put your art in our museums. God. What a start. Plus <laughs> <laughs> our American and English viewers. <laughs> I mean, I'm half English, but at least I can own up to what my people did and have been continuing to do. They won't even let us. Yeah. No, exactly. Respect. That is true. We can't pick our ancestors, but there are still a lot of xenophobic fuckwits out there now, so you can can choose not to be an arsehole yourself. (laughs) But yeah, unfortunately, lots of our ancestors will be arseholes. Yeah, and it was Leslie, because as you pointed out, lots of your ancestors are English. That's true, I know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, my great granny was in McLeod and she lived up in Loch Inver and she went down south to Gravesend in Kent and married some guy in the Navy, I don't know, in the military or something. But I bet a lot of her ancestors were basically thrown out of their crofts by yeah. the government. Probably. Or burned yeah, out yeah. of their crofts by the yeah, government. Yeah, they burned them out as well. Um, oh, old people. Burned by the government. Yeah, so pick up the Native Americans, <laughs> the actual first people who the land belongs to, and we're right, like just taken advantage of and basically, yeah, portrayed. So, what have you got for us, Mark? What have we learned? There's so um, much to. 
from these people, honestly. I love there it. Is, like, I know you and Yaz have looked at sort of mythology in kind of similar areas, and I feel like both of mine are kind of far spread because I've got one that is an Inuit belief and kind of stretches into Greenland, and then one that is from the uh, native peoples in the eastern woodlands and central plains tribes. So I think I'll randomly start with that one because I don't really know which one I want to start with. I like that you've chosen Inuit people as well because um, people tend to think that Native Americans just, you know, cowboys and Indians in the USA, but it actually stretches throughout all America, including yeah. Mexico, all the Americas, South America, North America, Canada, basically that whole continent. I think that's what I tried to do is go like fairly far south and then like, mm-hmm. well, I say fairly far south, the central plains are obviously in the centre. <laughs> <laughs> but that's as far south as I was going um, and then yeah kind of like more towards the north so the one from the central plains that I looked at was the deer woman now I've tried to find what the like native name would be for her because I assume that none of the tribes would call her the deer woman but I might be wrong because that's all I could find she's affiliated with several tribes the Pota sorry Potawatomi the mm-hmm. Creek the Omaha and the Ponca uh, all have stories about the deer woman and they all emphasize which i really like it's like a really important part of deer woman mythology that these are not spirits of women they are spirits of deer so they're like really emphasize that so they're not they are spirits and they're important spirits to their culture but they're not human spirits they're deer spirits so when she appears it's a it's a doe or they are doe they are does they are does so when they appear they can take the form of a deer because they were deer in life or they can take the form of a woman but if they take the form of a human woman she still always has the lower half of a deer and the legends of they all say that she avoids men where possible but she's benign and she looks out for women and she looks out for children um so i feel like there's kind of vibes like i just started looking into it because i thought it was quite a interesting concept when i was trying to pick what to look at but i feel like there's quite similar vibes to that other myth i looked at the highland myth about the like cow mermaids thing oh yeah yeah i remember that uh-huh. they look out for women and children as well and i thought oh, there's kind of a link here so they say according to all of the legends if you end up lost she'll guide you to safety so you might see a kind of a deer where you're not expecting to see a deer and it'll indicate for you to follow it or you might see a woman with cloven hooves and long dark hair and she'll kind of gesture for you to follow her, and that means that she will guide you to safety. She's also a symbol for a lot of tribes of fertility, so they believe if you spot her when you're trying for a child, it's good news that you've seen her. That means that you're going to be successful in your attempts to make a a baby, which is cute. There are a few stories from in and around Oklahoma of what I've labelled, this is not a direct translation, uh, fuckboy tribesmen. Um, (laughs) So... Obviously, again, because she looks after women and she looks after children, so she clearly has an issue, or they clearly have an issue with fuckboys. So there's quite a lot of stories about basically like young tribesmen that sleep around and play uh, women from different tribes off against one another and kind of pretend they're seeing one, but they're actually seeing multiple. And all these stories always end with the deer woman showing up and kind of becking him off into the woods, and he'll follow her into the woods, and then she'll trample him to death. Um, or her and her sisters will trample them to death. Gotta stop those fuck boys. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I have no beef with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, because of this uh, tale, there's a tradition in some of the tribes, so in the Sioux tribe and in the Pawnee tribe, uh, they have a tradition of telling prepubescent boys the story of the deer woman, and the tribes people are all very like sex positive, but they tell the boys this story to try to make it clear to younger tribesmen that basically if you want to be a fuckboy, deer women will kill you. So, <laughs> which again, I really like. Like, I think that's a really interesting um, like cultural myth to teach people not to be shit. There's other parts of the story as well. I mean, basically that's like the main part of the story. It's just mm-hmm. she's the fertility. She's like a protective um, being, but only to women and children. And she's this kind of like warning story to young men of like, you're coming up towards puberty now. Don't be a dickhead or you'll be killed. And like some of the stories of her. Well, yes. Yeah, she sounds like, like, I mean, I'm a big fan of hers. Like, she sounds great. Um, also like that in the legends, she's specifically described as benign. And then later in some of the legends, like, 
sometimes her and her sister stamp people to death. But she's benign. But I feel like that is benign. Like, she's only stamping shit people to death, so it's fine. And um, yeah, so some of the bits that come up in some of the stories kind of highlight what she likes and what she dislikes. So I looked into that a wee bit as well, because I thought, well, that's important if we ever meet her or her mm. or any of her sisters. So it says she likes helping others. It's said that if a woman or child sees her, she will fill them with transformative and inspirational energy. So they'll then go on in their lives to do great things because they've seen her, which I thought is like lovely. I like that idea. So yeah, if you're feeling like you're having a bit of a bad time in life, you might want to go out for a, a wander through the, the woods of the Central Plains and see if you can spot a dear woman. Um, and she's also really into dancing. Uh, it's her favourite hobby. And it's said that when a communal dance is taking place, it may well be attended by a stranger. And this stranger will be a young woman with long, dark hair. And she'll dance from the moment she arrives until the moment the music stops. Unless, however, you do something that will make her leave the dance, which is if you do one of the two things she hates. So one of the things she hates is smoking tobacco. So if people are smoking indoors, she'll be off. She's not any smoking. Um, she doesn't like the smell of it. And the other thing is that she doesn't like it if people look at her hooves. She's really self-conscious about them. So she's human form. She can't change the lower half of her body, so she'll wear like a long dress or trousers, but obviously she won't be able to wear shoes because she's got hooves. So if people stare at them, then she'll leave the dance and won't return. Um, but yeah, that's the information that I've got on the Dear Women, but I just thought it was a really like sweet story. Would you would like to see a Dear Woman? Well, yeah, I think she would be... She would be on my side. Like, if I needed help or I was getting fucked about by some arsehole, then if I thought about the dear woman, she would probably come to my aid. Yeah, and stamp them to death. Yeah, I got the dear woman. Look, look. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I like it. So I, I think when I was looking into the tribe that I was researching, the Ojibwe, the Ojibwe they have a dear woman as well in their culture. So I think it maybe just crosses over all the different tribes all across Maybe. America. It's like a, um, I don't know how I could, what I could compare it to, like the Easter Bunny or something. I don't know. <laughs> Within their sort of culture, it is spread across all of it. Maybe they, they tell these stories orally, so it must have passed through various locations from person to person, from tribe to tribe. Which is great. Like I quite like the idea that it's being passed from tribe to tribe because they're like, right, See how there's that wee slaggy guy in your tribe of coming have a word with him. Do you know about the deer women? Because she's out to get you, you absolute scumbag. Thank you. Maybe you imagine like yeah, yeah. If you imagine like travelers going between different villages, so I can just imagine them like round like a fire at night time. They've got a traveler that's came in. He's like, oh, let me tell you a story from like my village, and then that's yeah. kind of how they pass around. Yeah, and then yeah, definitely. That's generally how. They would pass. They would share their their stories and um, parables or wisdom throughout. Of course, they they do go to war with each other, like any humans do. They all like they have their territories before the Europeans came. Uh, they would fight other tribes for land amongst themselves, but I guess they would just do it in a way that wasn't as fucking self-destructive as yeah. like we would do but then when the europeans came over they did trade a lot of stuff for like for land but their concept of basically okay i'll take these guns off of you and things like that that you're offering and we'll allow you to use the land but what the europeans took that as is oh well this is ours now you can fuck off the end where the the, the the indigenous people were like <laughs> well no that that wasn't what we meant that's not what we meant at all. But I'd imagine if they'd gone over and they'd said, no, sorry, you can't use our land. It'd still have been like, well, fuck you, we're going to take all of it because, again... Yeah, but it's the way they went about it. They really annoyed Invaders. Yeah, I know. It could kind of basically portray them as sort of savages and, like, stupid, basically. Or, like, we'll just offer them some, some trinkets in exchange for some land, the suckers will fall for it, that kind of thing. Whereas I think they're very, like, honourable people. Yeah. And I don't think they realise that the extent... Although, and there is legends, the prophecies in the tribe that I was looking into that did say that if, if they move, like, west, if they pushed west from their lands in Canada, from the islands, Turtle Islands, that the white white people from faraway lands would come and punish them. And that's kind of what happened. Odd. Terrifying. God, that's horrible. Yeah. 
didn't stop them though. They still went. I think you're right about like sort of indigenous peoples being or those indigenous peoples being very like honourable as well, because I think that's the whole point of the Deer Woman story is to be like mm-hmm. an honourable person to or an honest person. Because again, it's like they're sex positive, so they're not actually saying you shouldn't have multiple partners. In fact, there's plenty of stories from both those tribes where it's like there are people who have multiple partners of whatever gender and it's fine, but it's about, yeah, like being honourable and only having multiple partners if your partner's fine with that. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, and they it's have, just about not being a scumbag. And they don't, sometimes they, the gender means something different to them. So, like, you can, I think we mentioned this before in a previous podcast, whereby you could be, a, I think it was a sister man or or sister woman or uh, some, I'll, I'll find out about it but it was basically you could be both genders so a woman in the tribe could do like the things that a man would do like be a warrior or be a shaman and that would be like her male side yeah there was quite a lot in like Inuit culture as well about um like basically what we would now class as trans people but they didn't even have a word for it it was just like if, I, I, I can't remember it wasn't the, binary, the same yeah. I need to yeah, oh, it was all gender was kind of non-binary or was at least on a spectrum. So you weren't gendered by your internal or external genitalia. You were just gendered by your personality type. So like basically all prepubescent people were without gender. And then when you started to like become older and express your gender and be more comfortable in your gender, they would um yeah, then you would kind of decide whether you identified as I can't remember whether there was four or five. I think maybe there was like five in Inuit um, belief where, yeah, you were either what we would consider to be masculine, what we would consider to be feminine, what we would consider to be neutral or like two of the points in between. But it wasn't anything to do with like a stupid baby gender reveal party. It was like, how do you feel when you can make an informed decision? uh, It is here. um, It's it's the, the... Ojibwe culture, the Ojibwe tribe, which is what I'm focusing on mostly, and with the North American peoples, it includes a third gender. So it's a third gender they believe it to be, and they call it two-spirit. So two-spirit women take on men's roles classified as either iron women or half sky, and two-spirit men practice shamanism, and it was taboo for women to take on this role, but a two-spirit woman following this path was called an iron woman. So the half sky two spirit would be physically good at a man's trades, like such as hunting. Um, and there's an instant when a wife becomes a widow and takes on her husband's manly deed. This woman is called a woman covered all over. I really like are, that. Are these things in a sexual way that you identify as a woman or a man in a sexual way, or is it more of a social kind of men and women jobs don't really exist? It's just yeah, you're a person I, you can do. I think again, and like Inuit, it's it, like they're both distinctly separate so you would gender but then you would also have your sexuality but again your sexuality didn't really matter like I think traditionally they would have people that we would now describe as like gay or lesbian or bisexual but again they didn't really have words for it because they didn't really care you just you were whatever it's just your person that's it yeah like your gender was cast by your personality and then your sexuality was just whoever you happened to be banging at that point in time (laughs) today i'll be this <laughs> yeah if you look at people as just you're just people then it doesn't really matter I guess. yeah oh, yeah oh well indeed and um, tell us more about the the tribe you were looking at then leslie that hey. was really unspecific because neither of <laughs> you can see me <laughs> someone steve do you want to jump in <laughs> well i was looking into the ojibwe they're also known as the ojibwa the chip uh, the chipua or um the french called them the saltu so they are, um, they're also called the Anishinaabe people of southern Canada, and they're based also in the north midwestern United States. They're the fifth largest population among the Native American peoples, um, surpassed in number only by the Navajo, Cherokee, Choctaw and Sioux, or the Sioux, sorry. <laughs> in Canada, they're the second largest First Nations population, surpassed only by the Cree, and they're one of the most numerous indigenous peoples north of the Rio Grande. They're known for their birch bark canoes, birch bark scrolls, mining and trading copper. Now it's interesting about the story about the copper is that they have copper sacred to them because they, and this is going back to our last podcast, that there was, they've got a cat. It's like a, a big black panther that lives in the Great Lakes. It, it has domain over the water, whereas the Thunderbird 
has domain over the air and the creatures of the air. The the black panther or the big cat has domain over the the water, and it also guards copper because that's sacred to it. So if you try and take copper, it will basically try and get you. Like if you take copper and then you travel across water with it, the cat will you'll feel its presence and it will be like claw you and trying to get the copper back. Again, that seems to like be all about honourable activity, doesn't it? Like, don't take yeah. things off of someone else's land that they could use at a future time without telling them. Effectively, don't rob people, which, again, don't, then, don't be a wee slag and don't rob people are both good bits of advice. <laughs> don't be a slag. Is it a bit <laughs> leprechaun though, as well? <laughs> like, this is my, my copper and this is my gold. Don't steal it. But then is it like, is yeah. the panther creature like hogging the copper for itself or is it basically saying like it belongs to whatever group of people are on that land so it's like protecting it and making sure that you don't take it elsewhere yeah that as well like if you take the the copper then you're sort of like cursed um with, with, it, it's sort what of like a yin and yang thing they're allowed it are the people from that area they're allowed to use it yeah the the tribe can use it um but right. they use it as a sort of um powerful shit like talisman it can have great power but it also is very respected amongst them so that that's why they they don't like mine it like the europeans did they would use it as like a precious commodity but they wouldn't mine it and like exploit the copper out of the ground they would respect yeah. the you know they would respect it and they would um, revere the copper so they wouldn't have like loads of copper items they mostly made their their um they lived in wigwams made out of birch. They used a birch tree because it was a really nice story that um I watched on YouTube. And it was a story about how the birch tree, they, they talk about nature and animals as if they're, they're all spirits. You know, they're all like connected to the great creator. So they call themselves two-legged and the animals are four-legged. So they're not like say, oh, well, I'm humans. I'm better than an animal. They're just saying that it's hard to explain. <laughs> Almost that we're all equal and we're like visitors here. But yeah, like they're the two legs. Yeah, like the two legs are there to look after the four leggeds and they work in harmony. They have to respect each other um, and work together to get along, sort of thing. So the 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 story of the birch tree was that it had a certain name. I can't remember what it was, but it was a birch tree. And there was a medicine man, and he said to this birch tree, right. I've got my camp here, all my stuff. You look after it. Make sure nobody comes in and messes it up or whatever. I'm going to have to go away in some errands. So you guard this. You promise? And the birch tree's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. <laughs> and uh, But the birch tree got bored after a while and just fell asleep. So while it was asleep, a cheeky coyote um, snuck into the camp and basically fucking wrecked the place. Chewed up all the guy's clothes and ate all his food or whatever. And then the medicine man came back and he's like, oh, what the fuck? You're supposed to, like, you were supposed to guard this. You promised. What What are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm really, really sorry. I, I fell asleep. I didn't mean it. I promise next time. I promise next time it won't happen again. So he's like, right, I'll give you one more chance. So he made up the camp again, fixed it all up, went to a lot of effort, said, right, this is your big chance. Birch tree, look after my shit. I'm away guard it but of course the birch tree fell asleep again <laughs> and the coyote came and wrecked all his stuff so the medicine man when he came back and saw that he broke his promise again then he went right i've had enough of your shit birch tree you said you were <sighs> going to do what you, you said you were going to guard this i gave you a second chance so he's so infuriated that he got some um he got some like twigs and stuff or like i don't know switch and he started whipping started whipping the tree like really hard and then there was like a few birds that flew by and they were watching him whip the tree and they started laughing and this is a bit that i think funny it's funny it's a bit cruel but it's funny as as well the medicine man went oi were you laughing at so we grabbed the birds and then hit them off the tree (laughs) you just punish the tree so he fit (laughs) (laughs) this tale of the so the reason why that's the reason why birch trees have those marks on them. You can see that they've got, you know how they've got like sort of what looks like little scratches in them. Yeah. So that's how they explain why the birch tree has that because it was being punished by the medicine man for not like 
keeping its promises <laughs> and birch tree and it also has like sort of dark marks on its spots on it as well which represents the birds that he hit off them and the, from then on the birch tree said right i'm so sorry i'll never i'll always keep my promises and help out your people so from that day on they used the the bark of the birch tree to make their wigwams and their their boats and the wood for food and um there's sap and uh, and even at the end of its life when a black fungus would grow out of it that they use to they would use that to treat cancer so they were so they revere the birch tree because the birch tree was sorry for for letting the people down oh it redeemed itself yeah <laughs> i really like that all their stories are sort of based in like sort of nature and things there's a story about a bear as well it's called the sleeping bear and I'll get this. I've got the story here. So it's called, this is from the Chippewa. And it's a legend of the sleeping bear. So it's a Native American legend from the Chippewa people. It tells how North Manitou Island and South Manitou Island were created in the Great Lake, now called Lake Michigan, and how the sleeping bear dune on its shore came to be. So the gist of it is, a long time ago on the Wisconsin side of Michigami, the Great Lake, which is now Lake Michigan, there lived a mother bear called Mishe Mokwa. She gave birth to twin cubs in the spring and in keeping with her sacred duty to her young, she taught them how to live in the wild and how to find shelter. She taught them how to find clean water from the creeks and the rivers and how to use her claws to dig out dead trees and, and things like that to follow honeybees, just how to be a bear basically for her cubs. But the summer that followed the birth of her cubs was really hot the sun appeared bigger and closer to the earth and the clouds didn't appear in the sky to cast cooling shadows so there wasn't any rain. Day after day the sun scorched the earth, drying up the rivers and streams and the plants and trees grew brown and withered and the woods became bone dry and the food became scarce. So she's like, what am I going to do? I know, I'll lead my cubs down to the creek to drink but unfortunately the creek was dry. So she said, right, I need to find water and food so that my cubs can survive. She called to her cubs, telling them, the sun has dried the water and we have to have water. We can no longer stay. We have to follow the dry riverbed to the great Lake Michigami, where we, where we will drink our fill. So she was wise and relied upon her instincts, led her cubs along the dry riverbed towards the Michigami which was a huge distance off. They travelled all day, but as night fell out of the darkness, there was a great storm. The thunder rolled across the skies and lightning struck several trees and the parched woods were quickly turned into a sea of flames and smoke. So she called out to her cubs, quick, we must run for our lives down the dry creek bed to the great lake where we can hide in the wide water and be safe. Run, run, run. So her cubs responded, followed her. She ran down the dried river bed with the flames so close that their fur was singed for bears. Eventually, and just in time, they reached the Great Lake and they swam out to safety. Turning around and looking back, they saw the entire shore in flames. The cubs looked upon the terrible sight in fear and one of them cried, Where? Oh, where will we live? Our home is burning. So they couldn't go back because it was burning. Yeah. And then the other one cried, how will we live with no home? So this lake that they're in is massive, right? They can't see the land at the other side, so they have to keep going. So she said to her kids... I need to stay strong for for you. There's a land on the other side of the lake where we can live, so don't worry. We will swim to it. Just follow me. So she began swimming in the opposite direction to the burning woods with her cubs following her. They swam all night, and then when the sun came up, they found themselves in the middle of a vast world of water with no land anywhere in sight, but they were heading straight for the sun. Treading water, they turned and looked back towards the shore where flames still raged and smoke rose into the sky. Misha Mokwa and her cubs were now far from the shore and they can see no land, only plumes of smoke rising into the skies above Mishigami. Look, our old home is gone. There is no more land, only smoke. How do we know which way to go? We are surrounded by water and we can't go back, asked the cubs. So their mum said, last night I followed the stars and today we swim for the sun and see how the wind flies across the water, pushing us to our new home. We must keep swimming once again she led her cub swimming before them across the great lake so she kept swimming all on and on and on night came she still urged her cubs on the next morning they were again swimming into the rising sun the cubs were like can can we see our home are we nearly there yet you know what kids are like she's like no no we need to keep swimming but we're so tired and hungry cried the cubs i know but we have to keep swimming we have to reach the shore on the other side just keep going so again they kept swimming and she urged her cubs to stay close but Unfortunately, the wind whipped up and drove the apart. 
because there was a massive storm in the lake and all she could do was swim in circles in the darkness calling out to her children but no answer came eventually the storm abated and the sun rose she swam round and round but she couldn't find a trace of either of her cubs not knowing what to do she waited in the water hoping they might hear her voice and find her she waited and waited but they didn't come she thought they were much lighter than she and the strong winds of the storm may have pushed them on in front of her. So she started swimming again, heading for the sun, calling out all the way, hoping to catch up with them. Eventually, after swimming all night and day, still no sign of her cubs, she found herself wearily clambering up a sandy bank onto the new shore. Thinking they must have made it safely, she searched the sand for their tracks, but none could she find. She thought, oh, well, maybe they've landed on another point. So she kept searching up and down the shore, but she couldn't find them. She was so tired and hungry and really afraid for her cubs and searched all day. But when night fell, she lay down facing the water to rest, still hoping to see them come struggling out of the water. Day after day, she searched, resting only at night. But her cubs did not come and she fell into despair and sleep came upon her. Manitou, the great spirit, who is wise and the creator of all, looked down upon Misha Mokwa with kindness and pity and took her up into the spirit world where her cubs ran to meet her. Dancing joyfully around her, they cried, we tried to follow, but the waves were so high, the wind too strong, and we were so tired and we were lost in the water. And with great happiness, Misha Mokwa told, the, told them, I know you tried hard and did your best, but now I've found you and we are all together forever. Looking on and smiling, Manitou was touched by the love and dedication he saw and decided he would do something so that others of his children should remember such devotion. Calling upon his great power, he caused the bodies of the cubs to rise out of Michigami, the great water. Today they are called North Manitou and South Manitou Islands to remind the people of the devotion of Mishimokwa. He lovingly and gently blew and his breath caused fine sand to gently cover the body of the bear, which is now known as the Sleeping Bear June on the banks of Lake Michigan. <laughs> the end. That's, That's a lovely kind story. Of, yeah, lovely, but also really sad. It is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. But see what I, I mean? They, they have these tales about nature and spirits and, and there's always a sort of meaning behind it, that a lesson behind it, that you that you should be dedicated to your family. You should treat your basically dedicate your yourself to your family over your own safety. That's one of their sort of life lessons, that particular tribe. That's what keeps yeah. you strong. I think that's, yeah. yeah. Again one of mm-hmm like an important lesson and again it's really like all about being honourable and being a good like family member but but it's still a wee bit sad (laughs) it's really sad but it's quite lovely and Uh, they have these like seven lesson life lessons and they associate with them symbolised by various animals so the wolf is associated with humility um, so they say if you leave your if you lead a humble life, then think that's if you leave a humble life, a less selfish life, then you can bring love into your family and look after them over yourself. So you're not so like bogged down in material possessions or anything like that. You know, you're, it, it's very family orientated. I suppose it's a tribe, so it is going to be like that. And the reason why they say the wolf represents humility is because when the wolf comes to you or you see a wolf that comes across two-legged, it will bow its head down at acknowledgement. That's what he said. I like Um, that. Yeah. And the beaver represents hard work, basically. They said that um, because the beaver's always, like, working away in its dam, using its teeth, like, using its gift, what it's good for, it represents like people who like what was it he said they said if the beaver doesn't do what it's supposed to do and use its teeth or use its gift it'll just his teeth will grow really long and it'll end up dead so be like the beaver don't be like the beaver if you don't use what you what you've been given what you like enjoy and what you're good at then your soul will just wither away and die that makes sense because they say if you stop using your brain even then you kind of exactly lose it no. Or if you stop walking, or if you stop exercising, then you lose your sort of athletic ability as well. That makes sense. There's so many stories, um, but I think I'll I want to talk about like a sort of sinister creature in the Ojibwe culture, and it's called the Baycock. <laughs> it's spelled B A B A Y K O K, and it's from the Anishabi 
uh, traditional stories, and it's said to fly through the forests of the Great Lakes region. The cries of the Baylock are also described as being shrill. It's described as deaf in the Song of Hiawatha, said to appear as an extremely emaciated skeleton-like figure with thin translucent skin and glowing red points for eyes. The Baycock only preys on warriors, but does so ruthlessly, using invisible arrows or beating its prey to death with a club. After paralysing or killing its prey, it then devours the liver of its victim. The Baycock was also said to approach a sleeping hunter, gently cut an opening in the chest and then remove a piece of the stomach without waking him. The word bakak in the Anishinaabe language means skeleton in the sense of bones draped in skin rather than bare bones, such that it lends itself to words like bakadozo, meaning to be thin, skinny, slash poor, and bakawenge, meaning to have a lean, thin face. Now, you know I don't like really lean, thin things. That's all really fucking scares me. The name bakak occasionally appears as bakak, uh, reflected in English as Baycock, which may be a shortening of <laughs> Bakaka Wad Bewizard, meaning an extremely thin being. The description of the Bakak's shrill cries is a pun of its name. The method the Bakak uses to subdue its victim is another pun of its name. The word for to beat using a club is Bakak Eek. A similar construct is found in the name for the Basketry Splints prepared by pounding black ash, uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, there's more to it. So uh, the ba- the Baycock, it was said to be like a disgraced person. It didn't always, wasn't always like a pathetic sort of, well, dangerous, thin creature thing with red eyes. It was a human being at one point, but they were like disgraced warriors. And what they were, do- they were basically killed and they were buried and their bones were scattered in a forest out where, out with their tribal lands. And that's why they turned into these Baycock things and got revenge on like other warriors by doing that <laughs> kind of thing. And they say that the only way that you can actually stop a or um, stop a Baycock is to find its bones and bury it back in its sacred land, like it's like gather it all together, put it back together again, and rebury it in its actual tribal land. Which again, like a lost soul, almost. Yeah, like yeah. I like, I really oh. like that story, and again, it, it seems yeah. to be all about being honourable because they were dis, like they dishonoured their tribe, so that's why they were turned into them. Mm-hmm. And then, like the honourable thing to do is to like bury the dead, so you have to rebury them, even yeah. though they're like without honour, you still have to be honourable. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. Cause it, and it's really creepy. Yeah, there's there's a funeral, um, the funeral sort of um oh god why can't i get my words out right hold on i've got this so how they bury their dead back in the sort of like the pre-european times the yeah funeral practices so the traditional way is that after death they bury the body as soon as possible the very next day or on the day of death it was important because it allowed the spirit of the dead to journey to its place of joy and happiness the land of happiness where the dead reside is called Gagije Minawanigoze winning. I need to break that down because it's quite a long word. The journey that took four days. Burial preparations, if they couldn't be completed on the day of death, guests and medicine men were required to stay with the deceased and the family in order to help mourn, while also singing songs and dancing throughout the night. Once preparations were complete, the body would be placed in an inflexed position with their knees towards their chest, so like in a fetal position. And then over the course of the four days, it takes the spirit to journey to its place of joy. It's customary to have food kept alongside the grave at all times. A fire is set when the sun sets and it kept going throughout the night. The food is to help feed the spirit over the course of the journey. And um, while the smoke from the fire is a directional guide, once the four-day journey is over, a feast is held, which is led by the chief medicine man. At the feast, this is a bit I really like, it's the chief medicine man's duty to give away certain belongings of the deceased. Those who were chosen to receive items from the deceased are required to trade in a new piece of clothing, all of which should be turned into a bundle. And this is a really cool part. The bundle of new cloths in a dish is then given to the closest relative, 
The recipient of the bundle must then find the individual that he or she believes to be worthy and pass on one of the new pieces of clothing. That's fun. <laughs> I quite like that as just a, an idea for a night out. Like, Well, I think that's really <laughs> nice because yeah. like my grand died recently and my uncle started being an absolute bastard and started accusing my dad of outrageous things like stealing from my gran and stuff to pay for his cruises and stuff like that which is totally wrong and he had to go with my sister and people tend to like and he was doing it to try and i don't know try and get more money out of like the inheritance or something by making yeah. my dad out to be wrong which none of it was true he never did anything to look after my gran like my dad would take her shopping and he had power of attorney and she was always asking for cash back and stuff what's he gonna say like no you can't have that so um, and he never did anything. And I like the fact that the, the native people were like, well, you have to give back, but it can only be to someone who's worthy. It's not just yeah. people who are just scrambling to take what they can get from the deceased person. It has to be someone who deserves it. And I think yes, that's really, I really good. I really like that idea. It saves all the, the arguing. <laughs> right, Noel. My uncle is not worthy. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't sound worthy. Like... No, he's not. Uh-uh. <laughs> I like that one. That's, that's quite nice, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I so... Mine, actually, yeah. Um, so, my one is more of like a an evil one as well, but it ties into the sort of the community and the family and sort of cautions against isolation and selfishness. So, the creature that I've been reading on is called the Windigo, and it's kind of more like Northern American Canada. And it's basically a creature that the reason I was saying it's kind of vampire is because it feeds on the blood of people or eats humans. And it's basically consumed by this like thirst for human blood. Um, and the legend is basically that it used to be human, but because this human is either committed some sort of cannibalism or a terrible sin, or like they've done something so terrible that their hearts turn to ice. And that's what's then led them to be this horrible creature that's just doomed to feed off humans. Um, and then at the same time, it's sort of a caution to people of like, don't be loners, don't stay away from your community because that's who they feed off of. So if you're someone that's all alone, a bit of a hermit, they will find you and feed off you. Oh and God, then I'm dead then. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I did like your exact word in there being like, don't be a loner. <laughs> but then the creepy thing is that you don't have a vampire bite to change into a vampire. With this, the contagious thing is the evilness so they can pass on the evil to you so then you could end up being one as well like depending on what happens to you um but there's lots of stories here about them um about like that hunger that they've got and the only way that they'll stop like they'll just live forever doing that until someone actually kills them um and apparently you can just kill them like by shooting them and stuff like that but it's just until someone catches you you're gonna be like that forever um, and there's lots of like descriptions of it, of them being like either quite skeleton like or quite like mummy like with wild hair and like red eyes. Um, but quite almost similar quite to the and... winged creatures that you were talking about, Leslie, like they sound like yeah. they're, they're like yeah. a, a, yeah, a great this, version. It's in, it's in the same mythology or same culture as the Ojibwe yeah. and the Wendigo across quite a lot of the Native Americans. Um we did kind of cover the Wendigo in a previous podcast, though, Yasmin, but I feel like the way that you um you were talking about it, because it's sort of like when I was talking about the Wendigo, it was more about how they were sort of like zombies or cannibals. But yeah, you're, uh-huh. gonna, but it be cannibals, but that thirst that they have is because of the evil that they've, whatever they were doing when they were still human. Hmm. Um, and yeah, there's a lot here about how they will prey on people that are on their own and have left their community. So they won't go into like a village and prey on people that are all together. Um, hmm. And because their heart is so cold, um, because they're so evil. Um, there was a lot interesting bit I was reading about today, though, about how today the term has actually went into um, like medical terms, oh. um, where if someone can sort of have like some sort of psychosis, where they feel possessed by cannibalic desires. Oh, they yeah, yeah. And Dago as well. I actually find that really interesting that it started off as like this horrible myth, but it's actually came into like today's society as well. <laughs> that is and, interesting. 
and that's a thing that like if we're talking about the like, indigenous people sort of the, the stereotypes of indigenous people where you get ones that are like oh well they're all cannibals they like to eat people or boil you in a pot you know red indians and things like that because they're savages but actually that tale is about a tale of caution it's all about well be let's be part of the community otherwise you will be a cannibal be, it's like taboo yeah and don't be like greedy don't be horrible don't do horrible things because that's mm-hmm. what leads you to become that creature as well and it's yeah it's it's quite a scary story to tell little kids of make sure you're good and make sure you behave else you'll end up it's not even like the monster's going to come get you it's like you're going to turn into that monster it's awful yeah I like that though, like don't be a dick and be nice to people who are nice to you, otherwise you'll turn into a vampiric like skeletal beast and like <laughs> don't cross your tribe or the winged monsters yeah. will come and eat you. And also when you start dating, like <laughs> make sure you're honourable in that as well, or dear women will stamp you to death. Like all good messages. Like I'm I'm fine with all of them. Yeah. They they're well better than all our Piggy Man stories. The Pokemon's going to come get you. Yeah, because there's not really a reason behind that. I mean, I suppose unexplained terror is more terrifying, but at least it makes more sense for there to be a reason, like you're being punished for being a shit person rather than just you're being punished. Yeah, just because you're not going to bed tonight, so the Pokemon's going to come get you if you don't go to bed. Yeah, yeah I think everyone, Sorry, everyone around the world, like no matter kind of where you're from or what tribe you're part of or your culture, they always have some sort of Pokemon like that to scare your kids into behaving but the wendigo i think would that's genuinely terrifying yeah i think that's more towards adults as well because it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like it's children it's like actual adults that are being greedy or selfish or nasty beware (laughs) have you got anything else jasmine um i've got other ones but i'm probably good actually but that was a really good session I liked all your stories, Leslie. They were really, really good. I've got, I've got so yeah. many of them. It's a shame because I've got like the creation of Turtle Island by the OJB, like, their creation story, which is where is it? We do creation stories for next time then. That's oh, creation stories. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Oh. All right. So, Yasmina, what did you say you were going to do? You were going off through your dinner? No, I had to go make dinner. Make dinner. <laughs> what are you making? <laughs> Well, we're just having burgers today. Like oh, that's funny because yeah. David's not going to have burgers today for his dinner, and I, I made some pasta. Oh, nice! See, I got a new bread maker, so, so I was like, "What can I put in the rolls?" So we're going to have burgers. Okay, just, bread, is it like you can make all kinds of bread in that bread maker, can't you? Like sweet bread, bread, or like just the dough itself. Like, so it just needs it for you, and then you can do whatever you want. I need to try and make more bread. That's what I need to. It's so much other shit to do, man, in this place. Please to have locked in and get the bread maker out again. <laughs> and what's it like in London where you are anyway? Is like I'm so confused with all the restrictions and shit. Like I have no idea what's going on anymore. You can pretend there's no corona in London. Everyone's just going about their business like there's nothing. I think it was a shit but because of that we don't go anywhere, so we don't go out, we don't really go see anyone, we don't do anything because no one else gives a shit. Yeah. God damn it. Come I think back it's to the same most places, to be fair. Like, I, I feel like nowhere's really taking it particularly seriously, which is obviously why the infection rate is remaining. Well, it's just the noise that they're pretending that London's okay. Like, London's never going to go into lockdown again because it'll ruin the economy. So it's like, just admit that it's bad, at least. You know, if no one gives a shit, then that's on them. Population yeah. decreases, win-win. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> Let Darwin take over, like just let all the yeah. out. Yeah, survival of the fittest. Yeah, but it um, tends to be the stupid people that get rewarded, which really annoys yeah. me. You know, like idiots who win the lottery and think, why? Yeah. That's literally <laughs> what I was saying yesterday. Was like, it feels like we're behaving, we're going by the rules, and we're getting punished for it. Yeah, we can't even. Everyone else is out in the pub. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, enjoy your dinner, Yasmin. It was really nice for you to be back, and um, please be back next week because I love when you're on the podcast <laughs> part of the team oh, i love being on this i miss you guys loads and i'll speak to you soon oh we're gonna see you know. okay, okay bye bye mark stay leslie hi <laughs> we're still recording but i just want to say i feel like 
uh, there was so much more to say about Megan and David. I want to do them justice. So I just want to end it on that I have a really high respect for the Indigenous people's culture and it's really saddening that they've been reduced to like little reservations and even then when they were promised lands by their overlords, they were, again, their land was taken from them and they killed all their buffalo to starve them. It's just really shitty things that colonists do that includes British people, Europeans, not just the actual, you know, white people that live in America and Canada. And they get treated like shit. And I I think it's wrong because they're so lovely and they respect the nature around them and they love each other as communities, a very, very community to governess about them and the love and respect and courage they have for each other. And I think they've been downtrodden so much and I just think it's wrong. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's... It's shitty and it must be awful to live in America and to be a native person and to have a prick like Trump on the news banging on about wanting to get immigrants out of America all the time when he's part of the immigrant group that's caused the biggest problem for the native people. It's sickening. Yeah, and it happens in Australia as well, the Aboriginal people and... It's just like, and and I really think that the world would be a better place if we could learn from them and Agreed. be more like them. Anyway, on that note, love you guys. We'll speak to you next week. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Woo! Blessings to the Babadook. Yes, blessings <laughs> to the Babadook. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note, bye. Bye. Chris, Matt. Press up.